This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Nadal, 5-1, fourth set. Crowd just not settling here. They want more tennis for sure as Nadal gets ready to serve now. Match point onto the forehanders team. It's right on the long from Dominic team. Rafael Nadal collapses on the court. He wins Roland Garros for a 12th time. Three in a row. 6-3-5-7-6-1-6-1 in three hours. Nadal, the first player in history to win 12 Grand Slam titles at a single event. He remains the ultimate test on clay. Rafa's reign continues. His 12th Roland Garros title, his 18th Grand Slam title, 59th clay court title, 93rd Roland Garros match win. Nadal's reign continues in Paris, continues at Roland Garros. The championship point there from Matt Brown. Now that final finished maybe an hour or so ago. I'm very happy to say that joining me, Peter Macasso and Peter, wow, he's done it once again. There were doubters when he didn't pick up another title in Monte Carlo, another title in Barcelona. He got the title in Rome. People started to think maybe, just maybe, and there it is, title 12. It didn't matter really in the end, did it, Gigi? It was incredible. Uh, Just the way that he built up through the tournament, he eased his way through the first week. He only dropped the two sets along the way, one to David Goffin and one in the final to Dominic Thiem. Just amazing. I mean, he wouldn't have come here if he wasn't fully fit and and ready to go, and he's proven them right again. It is almost impossible to beat Rafael Nadal the best three out of five sets. It's just extraordinary. And the way he got through that final today, under pressure from Dominic Team, a carbon copy of last year's final, except that Team was able to get that set, but the exertion that he had to put in meant that he dropped away at the end. And Rafa, oh, just sets new markers. He's 100 and 0 when he wins the first set in a best of five sets on clay. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And I, we're now starting to talk in terms of this mark will never be bettered. That this guy is is like with the others we're going to talk about in the decades to come. When we're, when we're all a lot older and we give the go away and all that sort of stuff, we'll be telling children, grandchildren, etc., that we got to see the great Rafael Nadal play on clay. We got to see all these amazing records and we actually got to truly appreciate it. And I think um, watching the Live at Roland Garros show that uh, you and Nick McCarvel have done over the fortnight, at the end of your last show, you actually played a montage of Nadal's wins all the way through. And that's the thing. So when we talk about these legends, a lot of them we don't have footage of. We've got everything that Nadal has achieved. It's all catalogued and archived, and it's going to be great for the generations to come to watch it. As you listen to this ATP Tennis Radio podcast, you'll recognise the voice of Peter McCarthy, a member of ATP Tennis Radio and also Radio Roland Garros. And it was incredible during that final, the interaction from the public about Nadal, about what he's achieved, also about team. We are going to talk about Dominic team. When this final started, 
the first set of the final, it was intense, it was ferocious, the level was absolutely outstanding. Absolutely, from both players, but it's just that, that constant that for team, he has to be at that high level for the entirety of the match because it's just relentless from the Dale coming at the end of the court, the other end of the court. It was incredible that, that first set, just how hard both players were going for it. In the end, they, they swapped breaks uh, sort of through the midpoint of that first set and then Nadal was able to get that break late to be able to take the opening set. But a different story in the second. And I was really impressed with how team stuck to the task. He never gave it away. He really pushed hard again. And I thought that second set was a great reward for effort because he has had the harder road through. He was the one that had to play and finish off his match with Novak Djokovic the day before. He comes in here. He's got to be able to be ready at that level for five sets. He did it in that second set, but unfortunately fell away in the last two. You know how we talk about how quickly they dismantle things at a Grand Slam? I was up here preparing for the live at Roland Garros, the final show that was live on air half an hour after the trophy lift. So we're watching the presentation on a monitor he's about to lift up the trophy and three men appear at the door and say are you finished with your televisions <laughs> can we take them and we said is it possible just to keep them for a little bit longer these are this is sort of a common theme because the podcast in australia <laughs> is exactly the same thing i think it was you and jill Cravers standing outside as all this but all these people were whooshing by trying to pack everything up so quickly. And at the moment, we're speaking just beside the set of Live at Roland Garros. I can see they are dismantling the set out there. I look to my right where we can see the side of Philippe Chetre where all the boxes are, the radio commentary boxes, TV commentary boxes. And even as we were on air with the show and I glanced to my right, wires are being ripped down, chairs were being wheeled along the yes. path outside, monitors were under... I don't know if he was meant to take that monitor. There was a monitor under a gentleman's arm and he was making their way. It's... Uh, I, w I was sitting up uh, with uh, some of our technical team. Did you take a monitor? Team. No, I didn't, but they were <laughs> slowly packing everything up around me as the final was going along. But, you know, how good were the crowds today for both players? I mean, they're, they're quite fair. Obviously, Rafa was the huge favourite here because he's won it that many times. But Dominic team had uh, fans out there too. And there was the Dominic that, that occurred periodically throughout the, um, the, the, the entirety of the match, which was great to see. So, look, credit to him as well, because to be able to go back and actually uh, back up what he did from 12 months ago, her Herculean effort from him too, and really enshrining him. And I thought Rafa was really good at the presentation ceremony, saying, look, you know, you're going to be around for a little while to come, and you, you could be the next player to really dominate on this surface. Let me ask you about a changing point in this match. Dominic team has taken the second set, 7-5. Yep. Then, and towards the end of the first set, I remember he was talking about it takes so long, all the time that's taken. He comes back and takes that second set, 7-5. Then Rafa Nadal leaves the court, and we've probably got about a seven-minute break. Yep. Rafa Nadal returns onto court. Dominic team is standing up. He's ready to go. There was a massive momentum shift. And I know we've talked about the fact that Dominic team, he didn't really have time to rest because he had that match with Novak Djokovic. But you've got the adrenaline. You've got the second set. And then suddenly, for seven minutes, everything just comes down. Yep. I mean, within the rules, there were, there were no time violations or warnings or anything like that. So perfectly within the rules. And you're right, it did switch the momentum completely because that level came down from team and Nadal just went straight away back to the task. And immediately, before you could even blink, I think it was about 12, 13 points in a row before team actually won a point in that set. Three love, that set's pretty much gone. And he was just able to ride the momentum too. Because it was interesting because team at the end of the third set, he went off the court, but he didn't stay off for as long. And Nadal was just able to roll his way through. 
How many times have we said, and I think Courtney Nguyen and I were saying this in the very beginning of the first set after what was a great start from Dominic team. Can he stay? Is he able to stay with Rafa Nadal physically and mentally over the best of five sets? And time and time again, the answer from everyone he comes up against is largely no. Correct. And it's the same here because obviously remember that team had beaten Nadal uh, this season on clay, I think it was in Barcelona. Um, he demolished him in Rome a couple of years ago, and just like Rafa wasn't even there, we thought, oh, how good's this going to be when we get to Paris? But it comes back to what we've talked to, and and exactly what you said there, Gigi, the fact that you can't get it done, best three out of five. And because Nadal's level barely drops across the entirety of a match when he is out here, I, mean, I think it's only been, what, twice that he's been pushed to five sets? Twice. So he doesn't even give you an opportunity to stretch it out. And he hasn't been tested there. That would be the challenge. Rightio, Dominic, get him to five sets. See what he's like there. If you can handle that, let's see how you go. But it's just that relentless pressure all the time that, that Rafa presents on a clay court, which is just a level above everyone else still. It was wonderful to see Rod Laver present the trophy to Rafa Nadal. In our show live at Roland Garros, we actually heard from Carlos Moyer in the moments after Rafa Nadal won title 12. And, and he made the point, he said, look, Nadal is human. He suffers nerves, there, there are dips, he comes back again. And he also mentioned at the very end, he mentioned the number 13. Yes. So 12 was still sinking in. And then he mentioned 13. And then a little bit later in the Players' Lounge, we heard from Tony Nadal. And he's been around a, a little bit through the clay court season. We saw him in Monte Carlo. We saw him at Rome. There was a coaching conference there. And he was on the practice court today with his nephew. And just to hear the emotion in, in his face. Look, some people saying, oh, gosh, it's Nadal again. But it doesn't get old. It means so much to everybody connected with Rafa Nadal and Rafa Nadal himself. That's it. And it's something that's not taken for granted either no doesn't matter whether it's his first one doesn't matter whether it's number 12 or all the ones in between never ever has that been taken for granted the fact that he's every title I think from from his perspective is treated in isolation it's like it's such a fantastic effort to be able to do it now when he retires he'll be able to look back and go well that one was more special than this one but at the moment it's just yep, we've got this done, let's let this sink in, let's celebrate this one like we have with all the others and then see where we go to prepare for number 13 because I've got no doubt he's going to come back here and, and try and win it again. And Dominic Team will, will of course be back. He's labelled the heir apparent to Nadal's clay court crown and you can see exactly why. So Rafa Nadal is the king at Roland Garros once again. I have to ask you, Peter, because there's a man eyeing up our sofa so we might have to speed up a little <laughs> well, bit. They could carry me out too. I don't want to go to the <laughs> It's not again. a great sound for the podcast. If you're sort of disappearing <laughs> down the stairs with two men, I'll have to sort of follow after you with the leads. Um, your your moment, your match, your moment, oh. your match. Of, now, I do this a little bit later with Nick in the podcast, but for you, what was it? Uh, oh, there, there were a few. I mean, the Tsitsipas-Vavrinka match was extraordinary. Uh, also, Juan Martin Del Potro, Yoshihito Nishioka, uh, that was a really, really good match too. The bowing, the yeah, all of that sort of stuff I thought was fantastic. But there have been so many great moments. There have been a couple of breakthroughs. Dominic team tweener against Gail Morphys. Yes, in terms of moments. That's Incredible. one that will. That's one that's already, well, it's been gift around the world. Is that what they call it? Gift? I, we'd need someone Replayed younger around the and a world bit more social media. Sort of stuff. <laughs> you know how terrible I am with all this sort of Me stuff. Me too. But it's just been, it's been another fun tournament. Yes, the weather got the way during the second week, but largely we were uninterrupted for a week and a half. And the new 
The Simone Mathieu court, just sensational here. Next year we'll have a roof. There's there's so much to like about what they're doing here and around the grounds. Um, seeing some of the French players, of course, when they're up and about and going. Benoit Paire, you know, he's taking a stride forward. You've had Too quite many. a few moments, haven't you? Peter, it's been I've had lots of moments. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. You are going to be back with ATP Tennis Radio through Queens. Queens, Huller. So we look forward to listening to you. You can hear Pete via ATP Tennis Radio. So that is today dealt with the final dealt with. Now, yesterday, when it was a little bit quieter, no one was eyeing up the sofas that we were sitting on. I <laughs> sat down with another member of the <laughs> ATP Tennis Radio, Nick McCarvel, to look back on the rest of the couple of weeks. Nick, it's good to be chatting with you Saturday evening because this is the calm the tournament's still going on there's still furniture to sit on we can <laughs> quietly reflect on the tournament up until the final yeah usually sunday evening right it's the madness of <laughs> course of everything being broken down it's crazy to see how quick these places come apart after you know what three weeks of magic but um it's also really special i think to be in these tournament sites when they're still going on, but the back end of a tournament when there's some quiet moments, you get into quarterfinals and you can find a quiet early evening. We've had some early finishes here, some later finishes here, and Roland Garros has this special magic about it, especially with this. We're just, uh, what, a couple hundred feet away from the new stadium, and it's going to be even more special next year with the roof. And it's been an exciting time to be in Paris because just down the road we've got the start yesterday with the opening match of the women's World Cup, so close to where we are at the business end of the second Grand Slam of the year. Well, yeah, last night you and I were walking back to the hotel where we're staying and you could hear the roars. <laughs> I think it was right at kickoff. Didn't we see a couple of fans with a flag <laughs> yeah. and they were really late and they were, they were charging in the right direction? They were, but they were very late. They had a French flag and we hope that they made it. We think that they made it to the match, but yeah, there's something magical, uh, especially with the Women's World Cup going on and um, I, what I love about being in France being in Paris for these two weeks is that everything is about the tennis. I mean, you can feel the French public, the media, you and I, sometimes at breakfast there's French TV on at breakfast and they're chatting about the tennis. It's all things Roland Garros. I went to a restaurant, an Italian restaurant run by French gentlemen and I'd left my accreditation on <laughs> so they knew where I was working and started talking to me about Marion Vida, the coach of Novak Djokovic. That is his go-to place for pizza during Roland Garros everybody is talking the owner said I'm going tomorrow to watch the tennis he was so excited he was who do you think is going to win and who do you think is doing well and this was late at night because we tend to finish quite late at night but they just they're so excited about the fact that the tennis is here okay and then quite the opposite is you you and I have been going to sushi every night and it was our last night last night and we told or tried to tell the owner, this very nice Japanese woman that you speak uh, great French with, about the fact that Sasha Zverev frequents her restaurant. We've seen them, seen him and his team there many times. Marcelo Mello, Jez Green, they're, they're all there having sushi. And she had no idea who Sasha Zverev was, nor did she really care to know. No, and I tried, I went, I went in a couple of ways. I said, sort of, I was describing him and I said, he's yeah. a very good player. And I thought that hasn't worked. He's a fifth best player in the world. That That's she just smiled and said, lovely. And I said, well, 
lovely, but I, they have been there every night. Well, I think she probably especially likes him because they bring, what, six people in there every night and they're eating a lot of sushi. Because we know that players are really superstitious. They tell us about their routines, what they have to do, a court they have to practice on, a food they have to eat, a journey, a route they have to take to the tournament every day. But they keep doing that. And for Sasha Zverev, it is this sushi restaurant. It has been for the last three years. Well, it's because he stayed actually at the hotel. I wasn't there a couple of years ago. You were, and you saw the whole crew. There was Misha, there was Mom, there was, what's the dog, Ludwig? He was there too. Ludwig. Lovick, not Lovick. <laughs> I was kind of close. You were kind of close. But they somehow must have stumbled on the sushi restaurant. And um, it is funny, the the routines, the superstitions, even Rafa talks about the fact that the water bottles, he doesn't, he doesn't feel like it's an OCG thing. It's just those little things that they do that they feel like they have to do to play their best tennis. And I was going to go semifinals backwards, but as we were talking about Sasha Zverev, what about this run? He finally came unstuck against Novak Djokovic. But again... He got to the quarterfinals here at Roland Garros. I think this might have been, and he would actually argue that he hasn't had a poor start to the season. He was top 10 in the race to London. He's still a top 10 player himself, but he has struggled in finding his best tennis against the best players. He struggled in making it deep at the Masters 1000s this year. And for him to get through a five-setter against John Millman in the first round, a five-setter against Dusan Lajevic, and then a four-setter against Fabio Fonini, to get into the quarterfinals against Djokovic and then actually served for that first set against Djokovic. And I felt like maybe if he would have won that set, you would have had, what, a contest on your hand, hands. He kind of um, he kind of faded away a little bit. But I think the Geneva win, backed up by a run to the quarterfinals, I think that is maybe just what the tennis doctor ordered for him. So we stop talking now about the problem that Sasha Zverev has on grounds. Is that done now? Do we? St- is that still a little discussion or is that gone now? No, I, th- I think for the most part, we can we can push it aside. And now you want him to come into a major with the confidence that he not only can but should make the last eight, the last four. Should he be a contender? Because for so long, he, uh, you know, has he's won Masters. He is obviously a top five player when he's playing his best tennis. But I think now in the slams, we can kind of, for now, push that. Uh, storyline that talking point aside okay so we're going to leave that to one side I'm going to jump around so that was quarterfinals and then I'm going to but I will stick with the gentleman <laughs> who beat Sasha Zverev so there is some kind of route being taken here Novak Djokovic because it's Saturday evening there was a bonus for the crowd because play was called for the day because of the storms that were in the area on Friday which meant that Novak Djokovic and Dominic team would resume today 4-1 Dominic team ahead in set three well it was a crazy situation Overall, I, I mean, you know, because the players, including Roger and Rafa, had played these in these crazy windy conditions throughout Friday afternoon. The women, women's semifinals, they were super windy. I think they had to take those precautions on Friday, or the tournament felt like they had to take those precautions because you had all of this wind, you had a lot of storms moving through the area, but it was strange for us to sit in our office where we had our live at Roland Garros set for the TV show you and I were doing, and no rain came. Maybe very little rain came, but from 6.30 when they canceled, when they sent Novak and Dominic team home, which they did, the official said, go home, is there was no rain. And so it was a strange situation because we felt like maybe we could have kept playing. And you also wonder what what Roger and Rafa and the four women semifinalists were thinking 
in the sense of, well, wait, we had to play through these super windy conditions. But it's basically that they thought that they were going to get, um, they are going to get rain to come through it, and it just never uh, materialized. So back we come today, starting at midday. It would be the match before the the women's final. There would be another interruption due to a shower that came. There were blue skies. We were again in our office getting ready for the show and suddenly it's, it's raining and everyone is running off court. It came from nowhere. It lasted a fair bit. They came back out again. Do you feel that Novak Djokovic, do you feel he felt the pressure of going for what everyone is billing the Nole Slam, the second Nole Slam of his career? Yeah, I mean, I can't quite explain it. I mean, after the loss, he talked in press about the fact that he just felt like Dominic Team was a really, really, really tough candidate to go up against. And so for him, that's obviously, you know, disappointing, but he, he just didn't bring his best tennis when he needed it. And that's not something we're used to seeing from Djokovic, right? We're used to seeing him when it matters the most. That's when he locks down. That's when he does play his best tennis. But in the fifth set, I mean, he was able to force that into a fifth. Down 1-4, gets it to 4-all. Dami serves for it at 5-4. He breaks back again. And Novak gets it to 5-all. And you feel like certainly at that point that it's going to be his match to win. But he just... And I still can't quite feel if that was because of the Nole slam. But he just didn't bring his tennis when he needed it. He looked very unsettled from getting a time violation to just screaming, to asking to see the supervisor on the Friday because of the wind. He looked really rattled by the conditions and just couldn't settle into his game. Dominic Team was just Dominic Team. He just wanted to play. Yeah, and I think that he also trusted his tennis more for whatever reason that is. And, you know... Through much of March, April, May, the the Djokovic team was talking about how they were working to peak at Roland Garros, and, and it just didn't work out that way. And for Dominic Team, maybe the conditions helped him a little bit because he was able to play better tennis in those windy conditions. But the fact is, is that it, he's got a new team with Nicholas Massu as his head coach, and he's sort of re-motivated. He was a finalist here last year. And so for him overall, it, it's an opportunity for me that he took advantage of. And that Novak just kind of let slip through his fingers. And that's where you have to count Dominic Team with that Indian Wells title, that Masters 1000 under his belt. He's obviously a top, what, four, five, three player. And so I really think that he, he took advantage of a situation that Novak just didn't quite grasp. Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, part 39. Fedal, as everyone was using the hashtag of on social media, disappointingly the weather got in the way of what could have been a classic yeah it was tough right I, I mean everyone was so excited for chapter 39 of what's really been of course at least significantly um headline creating the most um poignant rivalry in men's tennis history and and you know roger coming back he hadn't played here in four years it was the sixth time they were meeting here at roland garros it was the first time what, since 2011, I think? And so, but when we knew that it was going to be so windy, when we knew that it was going to be a blustery, the, the wind was insane on Friday. It's hard to explain it. I think, again, most people have seen it on TV or listened to it on the radio. It wasn't a tennis match. It was a match of who could play these conditions better. And Rafa has that kind of game that lent to it better. And, you know, Roger said also that he just didn't know how to prepare for that match against Rafa because no one is playing the kind of best of five clay court tennis 
that Rafa is playing right now. That was really interesting when he said in press, how do I find someone to prepare to face Rafa Nadal? How do I find someone that plays at the level that he does? Yeah, he talks about the win, but you know, he said, look, that is just what happens. But from Roger Federer's point of view, he's enjoyed coming back to the clay. He was asked if he'd be here next year. He said, I hope so. It's probably too soon. But what we've seen from him is he's really enjoyed his time back on the clay. Yeah, and I actually put out there on Twitter as he was um, serenaded off court, the whole crowd chanting his name, Rafa standing up, clapping him off as well. I actually tweeted out that I really appreciated the effort to play on clay this season. The fact that he went to Madrid, saved match points against Malfis, had that epic battle, went to Rome, saved match points against Chorich. No one really thought, I I was in Rome for ATP Tennis Radio, no one thought my cabbie from the airport was like, well, Roger's not coming. And I was like, no, 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 I think he is. And so that commitment of Madrid, Rome, Paris, that he came back to the clay. and, And yes, Roger is is probably this generation's second or third best clay court tennis player, but he has been so used to being the best. And I think to put himself through that challenge, really for the first time since 2016, of course he had to pull out a Roland Garros with that injury. Um, It's the first time he's played here in four years. And really I think that um, he gave the tournament just sort of that extra boost because obviously he's Roger, but then just that added layer and he played really dang good tennis. He made the semifinals and he played some really, really standout ball. Normally I ask this question at the end, but because I have a feeling I know your answer and this is the next thing I want to talk about. What's your match? (laughs) What's your match of the tournament? Oh, do you think I'm going to pick Roger Stan? I'm going to pick Stan Tsitsipas. Which is exactly what I expected (laughs) you to go for. (laughs) I mean, time stood still for that match. And, you know, you want maybe if you're French, you would have picked Benoit Paire against Pierre Hugobert because that had gone extended in the fifth set on Longland. But um, Stan versus Tsitsipas, it's actually one of those matches that um, the quality Gigi was so high from the start. And I have to say, it was enjoyable, too, because you have Stan who's coming back from these challenges, you know, the knee surgery, the way that he's continued. He's been a slow locomotive train up the hill, right? And now I think he's he's seen the downhill slope. He's seen the even ground, and he is full steam ahead. And I think Magnus Norman said midway through the tournament that they just needed that one turning point. We talked about it being a turning point for Sasha Zverev. I think it was a huge turning point tournament for Vavrinka. But that match was glorious. The highlights were glorious. Uh, The shot making, the drama, the uh, back and forth. Sasha trying to prove himself as a top eight player. Stan Vavrinka trying to prove himself once again as a top player. And then I loved so much the embrace at the end of the match where uh, Stefano started to pull away and Stan brought him in. And I think Stan must have said something to the fact of, keep going, you know, you're here, this is it. And Sasha, excuse me, Stefano said after, uh, you know, on social media that he is ever changed by that match. Uh, How did you witness it? It was the level. The level they kept for over five hours was absolutely incredible. It felt like you had the two generations, Stefano Sitsabas, that sort of hurled himself into the top 10 and said, I'm here to stay. I'm not just visiting. I'm going to be around this top 10, the upper echelons of this top 10 for quite a while. And Stan Wawrinka, as you said, he's battling back from the injury. And afterwards, Stan Wawrinka said, this is why you work hard. This is why you come back. It's for days like this. They were out on Susan Longland. The crowd was 
incredible. The backhands on display, the way the crowd was seesawing from one to another, depending where this match was going, the support for both players, the level, some of the shots. It was just, it was gripping. It was fantastic. It was unbelievable. Stan Wawrinka has actually been involved in some of my favourite matches. There's something about Wawrinka. He gets into a match late in the day, late into a tour. Marton Fucevic earlier this year, there was a late match with him. It was an absolute stunner. But he came through Stan Wawrinka against Christian Garen. We thought, oh, well, Garen's going to be a really tough test because Garen's been picking up titles on clay, having the season of his life on clay. That No, no, no. He dismisses Christian Garen. Then Grigor Dimitrov working with Radek Stepanek now. Now, this was a match that actually moved court and ends up being played on the bullring court where the people sitting on court one, the last year we're going to have court one, were like, so we're, oh, right, OK, we've got Stan Wawrinka <laughs> and Grigor Dimitrov. And that was carried over to the next day. And that was a really tough test against Grigor Dimitrov, who, working with Radek Stepanek, looking to get himself going again. But he comes through that with ease. And then he faces Stefano Tsitsipas. It was just, it, I think it's unbelievable. We can ask for maybe shot of the tournament was maybe Dominic Team's tweener against oh, Gail Morphys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was incredible. I mean, Dominic Team essentially sprints back to the baseline for that tweener and completely hits it as, as hard as he could between his legs, which could have gone dangerously wrong in many different ways, but for <laughs> sure uh, a shot of the tournament. Yeah, well, he no out, doubt. He's out Monfising Mon Monfis. That's what we expect <laughs> Gail Monfis to do, and the way he kept his balance. But I think match of the tournament from the first round up to the semi-final stage, then I can't see many people going outside of Tsitsipas Vavrinka. Yeah, no, you sort of have to. I mean, Federer Vavrinka had its moments, the four-setter, obviously, um, I mentioned, of course, that match between uh, Pierre Hugebert and Benoit Paire, which was really big, of course, in France. Um, uh, Karen Hatchinoff uh, against Del Potro, I thought that was quite dramatic, but of, I thought it was a great, a great proving ground for Delpo, who also had his own five-set classic down in the fifth set to Yoshihito Nishioka, who's about half his size. And what did we like at the end of that match? Uh, there was an embrace, and then there was a hair ruffle by <laughs> Djokovic, or by Del Potro to Nishioka. Like a little cuddle at the end, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it, was, it and, was. And that made its way around the world wide web. From, I, I want to look at those two in terms of Del Potro and Hashinov. Hashinov to start with, he's been trying to build back up to the heights that he reached at the back end of last year, winning Paris and Bercy and then make it as an alternate to the Tour Finals. Not only did he have a good run, he leaves Roland Garros knowing that when the new rankings are released, he's a member of the top 10 and also confirmation that he's going to become a dad quite soon. So for Karen Hashinov, he's still very young. He's a member of the top 10 and he's about to become a dad. Yeah, uh, I mean, big things. Congratulations, of course, to he and Veronica. That's very exciting. And, and you know, him for, for Hatchinoff to come through against Stebe, uh, the third round, he beat Martin Kleson, who can be really dangerous. And then I mentioned that match against Del Potro. Um, he's, what, 10-1 and one in his last 11 matches in Paris? So that's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> the city of light is working for Hatchinoff. But, yeah, you know, we talk a little bit about Zverev not necessarily playing his best tennis to start the season. Hatchinoff's been all over the place. And so I think it's a big confidence boost. And just a reminder, you know, he sort of got destroyed in the quarterfinals by Dominic Team, but um, I think it really does reestablish his confidence with a, uh, well, we'll just spell that with a K because it is Karen Kachanov.
Oh, that's good. Isn't that good? <laughs> and he also, because he beat Juan Martín del Potro, a crowd favourite, in the speech he gave at the end, there was a little bit of French. It was confirmed the fact he was going to be a dad. And it was said to him, it, it's, it's a difficult thing to win over the crowd, but you won over the crowd. There was the big smile on his face. And I think everyone has really warmed to Karen Hashtag because it's tough getting the crowd over Juan Martín del Potro, who seems to be a crowd favourite wherever he goes. Certainly. And I actually, that just reminds me, you look at guys like Sisipas, like Sasha Zverev, like Hachinov, who really use this tournament. And, you know, none of them are walking away champions, but I think they continue to prove themselves as contenders. And I think at Roland Garros, they were part of the conversation, which was so big, of course. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, you look at, not the next gen, of course, we know CISA Pass is still part of it, but um, this is the generation that is really coming up, Gigi, and they're proving themselves. They're being asked in the slams, can you handle this? And best of five is what the big four, the big three, the big five, whatever you want to call them, they have handled it so well against their challengers in years past, and now these guys are just little by little proving themselves. Now, a gentleman that seems to like spending time on court is Kane Shakuri from the five matches he played over these couple of weeks. The last two went the distance, and he has the best record of anyone of turning around a losing position, whether it be in five sets or just the deciding set. It's incredible. He gets himself, I think Ben Mopé, was he one four down or something in the deciding set, how he turns these situations around. He eventually would come unstuck he got to the end of the road against Rafa Nadal but it's incredible how Kane Shakuri I don't know whether it seems that the tank suddenly empties at a certain stage but that record in deciding sets oh it's awesome and you know I think we've talked about on air actually together about the injury struggles that Nishikori has had but I mean for him to prove himself in in five set matches we don't have the exact numbers right in front of us but he is a physical specimen in his own way and to come through against Benoit Paire Benoit Paire served for that match in the fifth set uh, you just wonder for Nishikori okay how do I then get to the next level because he wins just five games in the quarterfinals against Rafael Nadal and you know he had to finish that pair match the day before he played Rafa of course that's a really big ask but um, yeah Nishikori it's it's awesome and I actually got to do an interview with Wow Wow TV and the Japanese press while I'm, I'm here and Gigi the amount of coverage that he and Osaka get it's insane in Japan and that market for the Olympics next year it's going to be huge and Ishikori can't even live there because of how famous he is what did you take when you were speaking to them what sort of came across about the following and the intensity of the coverage well, they told me that numbers-wise, if Osaka and or Nishikori aren't there, they get 30% of the viewership. So their viewership essentially triples when you've got Osaka and Nishikori as part of the conversation. Wow, I was already doing huge numbers anyway, but then that viewership triples. And Nishikori is not a new name to the Japanese public. He's a known entity. And um, Florent, who's actually French, but he's fluent in Japanese, he's a host, a presenter on Wow Wow. And he was telling me that, you know, Nishikori is one of the most famous, uh, maybe a few of the baseball players and then some of the figure skaters. And then it would be Nishikori and Osaka. What else are you taking away from your two weeks 
in Paris. Maybe it was maybe it was working with me every day. <laughs> <laughs> we did have oh, some fun on the radio. Yeah, we did have some fun on Radio Roland Garros, which ATP Tennis Radio were rebroadcasting. The the television show we were doing in the evening. But was there is there another player that you feel deserves a mention from their time? in Paris? Well, I mean, my sort of eyes, when I look at the draw, it goes back to Roger Federer. And just, I remember the first few days of the tournament, I did a Vox Pop around the grounds. And all you have to do, it's cheating when you do a Federer Vox Pop because you just look for RF hats. And I had one gentleman who I think was in his 60s from Brisbane in Australia. And I, he had an RF hat on, and he kind of was eyeing me as I was holding my RG microphone. So I said, come on over, and he was very sweet, and we had a little chat. And he started crying, talking about Roger, because he means that much to a lot of fans all over the world. And to have him, to have Federer, I know it's a little extreme, but to have Federer back as part of this tournament, as part of this event, I thought that was huge. And then, you know, you and I were talking about it, this sort of next generation of stars. Uh, you also look at guys like Christian Guerin, Casper Ruud, Laszlo Jira, um, Antoine Huang, uh, Dusan Lajevic, Borna Chorich, Jan-Leonard Struff makes the fourth round. I mean, you know, these are, these are guys that have had opportunities now to come through in different ways. Dimitrov, I think, the two wins that he took away from this tournament, that was massive. And, um, yeah, what about Juan Ignacio Landero making it to the fourth round? That was great. And I think for me, Antoine Huang, seeing him the next day after he lost to Gael Monfils doing an interview with Eurosport, French Eurosport, they said, you know, what's next? What are you going to do? He said, well, i got a physics exam tomorrow. <laughs> and they were like... Okay. And they said, have you, he said, well, I haven't had much time to focus on it. He may not have expected to get through to the third round, but he said, yeah, so tomorrow it's a physics exam and then off to the next tournament. And it's, it's this, these young guys juggling work and, and school life. And I think a couple things, too, for me still is you look at Felix Auger-Aliassime, who made the final in Lyon, but then had to pull out because of, I think, of a hip injury. And so I, the respect that he has for best of five clay court tennis and then Alex Dimonor, who has been struggling with injury this season, the fact that he is continuing a slow comeback, uh, it just reminds you of how physical this sport is, especially best of five. So we're done with the clay. The clay is done. We're moving on to the grass. The next stop for ATP Tennis Radio will be the week of Queens and Haller, when we'll be bringing you commentary from both events. But I must, before you go, get your thoughts on... Let's start with Queens. I mean, the lineup for Queens is incredible. Or maybe we should start with the doubles lineup at Queens that includes <laughs> Andy Murray. Oh, it's so awesome. Uh, you know, I actually, when I was reporting for ATP Tennis Radio in Rome, spoke with Dan Evans and then Jamie Murray, and there are these whispers of Andy hitting at Wimbledon, and then, of course, Nick Kyrgios hit with him there. Um, it's really cool that Andy's making this comeback and he's doing it on his own terms, right? He talked about in Australia about wanting to be healthy for his life. He wanted his body back for everyday life. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a human being. And now that he's, you know, legit had this major hip operation, um, he's giving himself the opportunity to, to play some doubles, which I think is great. Um, I love that he's doing it with Feliciano Lopez, right? I think Judy's very excited about that, too. I, I saw a couple of <laughs> tweets to that effect. Yes, definitely. But it's, it's just great that he's going to be there. And he said, look, I'm not ready for singles yet. And this is the perfect way to start. He's been practicing at Queens on the indoor courts in the build-up a little bit on the outdoors as well. But just to have him there, just for him, I think, for himself to be part of the tour again. 
Oh my gosh. And can you imagine the occasion? You're going to be at Queens, which is cool, but uh, I'm the occasion of it is going to be fantastic. And I mean, I actually think that Holla Queens is one of my favorite weeks on season because almost everyone plays. You've got insane lineups uh, at both events. I did Holla actually a few years ago, and it's in this tiny little town. Um, almost in the middle of nowhere in Germany, and it's on Roger Roger Federer Drive because he's won it so many dang <laughs> times. The hotel is right there for the players. They literally walk from the Is that the Roger hotel. Federer Hotel? I don't think they've quite gone that far, <laughs> but it's still on Roger Federer Drive. Uh, um, the hotel's right there. They walk to site. Um, it's great that it's going to be on, on the radio, and you'll see we'll have the full swing into the grass court season there and then of course um getting ready for wimbledon it's incredible though isn't it if we just throw a few names out from that lineup at queens anderson del potro Sitsipas, Celic, shapovalov edmund Kyrgios, cameron norrie gregor dimitrov and felix ogialiasim and the doubles news that came out during roland garros was that jamie murray and bruno suarez were going to go their separate ways after this tournament which was really sad jamie murray teaming up with neil skupski and bruno suarez teaming up with Marte pavic yeah it's great i mean those are two formidable new teams i I'm very sad because I picked Murray Suarez as my year-end number one in our vault, in our picks for <laughs> this coming season. So that's uh, out the window. <laughs> but no, uh, you Do know. Do you get I, one point or half a point if Oh. you see? Yeah. Maybe. I think I should get a full point. I should get full credit for knowing who one of Well, no, because you those... wouldn't get both. Yeah, you but can't have full that marks. doesn't matter. No, I, I mean, oh. it's not my fault that they broke up. No, but it's your fault that you picked them to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's great. And listen, I mean, Skubsky and Jamie, I think they'll be a great team. Jamie just started his YouTube channel. I think he's trying new things. I think he's invigorated. I think he wants to keep his doubles career going. And it just, he and Bruno maybe plateaued a little bit. Um, but Bruno Suarez and Mate Pavic, that is, that's an exciting pair too. Hello, <laughs> Fedra Zverev team. And Zverev's taken um, a wild card into Stuttgart. Team Nishikori, Hashinov, Chorich, Monfils, Goffin, Songa. Uh, I mean, I will just reiterate one of my favorite weeks of the season is Queen's Halla. Um, and I know that a lot of those grass court events work with Wimbledon to try to make their grass courts as similar as possible to what we see at SW19. So um, that event, it's standout. And the fact that you've got Roger back, I think it'll be the perfect prep for him. Um, Chorich is defending champion. That was an insane run that he made last year. You've got the dynamics of Monfils. It's an incredible lineup. And... Um, are you guys doing ball-by-ball ball coverage on ATP Tennis Radio? You certainly are. Amazing. Wow. I'm jealous. I'm going to go home to New York, and I'll be listening. And How's you'll be that? listening. And, but you've enjoyed your time in Paris? Oh, my gosh. It's been incredible. We've had a great time on uh, Radio Roland Garros. We've had a great time on the RG show for uh, YouTube. You can go back and watch our episodes um, from these past two weeks. You and I have eaten a lot of sushi. We've had several Sasha Zverev sightings. And I would like to say I've ended the tournament on a positive note. I started it by um, congratulating Nicolas Mahou on his major victory. <laughs> and what happened it, when you congratulate? <laughs> well, um, I, listen, I mean, he had just <laughs> beaten Marco Cecchinato, who was a quarterfinal, quarterfinal, semifinals, semifinalist last year from two sets to love down. And I see Nico in the street in Boulogne, which is the neighborhood that we stay in and the French Open's next to and that Nicolas Mahou lives in. And I knew that he lived in the neighborhood. And I was like, you know what? 
big win for him yesterday. I'm going to congratulate him. And I, we're, we're crossing paths. I'm with a colleague, Matt Chalope, and I said, Nico, congratulations on yesterday. What a great win. Barely grunted a response. So I, I was quite <laughs> down about that. I, I think Matt recalls him to be on his phone. I don't think he was on his phone. I think phone. he was being nice to you. I, Matt was. Yes. Yeah, I don't think he was on his phone. I think he was tired from the day before. Anyway, a few nights later, second week, midway through, you and I walking home, same block, <laughs> huge block party. And I make the joke that, you know what? It must be a party for neighborhood hero Nicola Mahu. You and I have a giggle about it. I have to tell that shameful story again. And there we walk through the crowd, and who do we see in a suit? Nicola Mahu. And you didn't try and congratulate nope. him. It didn't say hello. No. Didn't say anything. I just... You just put your. I was sort of <laughs> chuckling and looking at him, and you just put your head and just you just walked straight ahead. It was like a movie scene where you like see someone that has crossed you, or maybe an ex, or someone that you didn't get along <laughs> with in the past. Well, and... There's a whole history now. <laughs> No, I, I mean, listen, how about someone who had a great Roland Garros, Nicolama, who has a wild card outside of the top 150, making the third round, and then almost beating Leo Meyer. Um, no, it, it was a peaceful finish for me in Paris. I can go home happy. And um, actually, I'm very happy to go home. I haven't been there since uh, May 2nd. It's been a pleasure to have breakfast, lunch, and sometimes dinner with you, Nick, for the past 15 days. Yeah, thank you. Now, did you enjoy your time in Paris too? I, I hope so. No, I did. <laughs> I did. Our walks to work in the morning were great. No, the tennis has been, I didn't even really mention that the changes to Roland Garros this year. I know we talked about them a little bit in last week's podcast at the top, but the Court Simone Mathieu, which is surrounded by the greenhouses, it's a, it's a sunken court. Everything they're doing to Roland Garros is is amazing. All the changes are in place. We'll have the roof up by next year, but Philippe Chatrier. I do, one thing I do that we've both done a few times is when we arrive in the morning before they open the gates to spectators, we go and sit on Philippe Chatrier. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. That's actually my favorite way. We go through our notes, our radio notes and TV notes, and we sit, have a quiet, I've had a croissant with um, Simona Halep. We, no, you didn't have it with her, but she was... She was on court. She was so on I was court. Ca- I kind of had it with her. You sort of told people you had a croissant with Simona Halep. <laughs> it's amazing how these things change. My stories, uh, they're uh, becoming suspect. If anyone right? bumps into Nick in the future, he'll start telling you that Nicola Mahu had a full-on conversation with him. Then just look back to this podcast. He was ignored. But no, that's, <laughs> that's a lovely thing. <laughs> it's a lovely thing to do in the morning, just to sit there and just get some peace and quiet before the gates open and the spectators come in. Yeah, and I actually have loved those mornings. Uh, And I think both you and I, our eyes have gone bleary from how much live tennis we really have seen behind that glass in the radio booth. And, um, well, we've got, uh, you know, we've got two more slams to go this season and we've got a lot more tennis to play across the globe. That's it from us this week. Thank you so much to Nick McCarville for joining me. Be sure to join us on next weekend's podcast when we get all the views ahead of Queens and Haller. And to listen to Ball by Ball commentary from the Fever Tree Championships and Jerry Weber Open, simply click on the Listen button at the top of the ATP Tour homepage. Very easy way to find us. Ask your smart speakers if you have one or many to play ATP Tennis Radio or by finding us on TuneIn. Now, in the meantime, keep up to date with all things ATP via the ATP website. And that's where you'll also find the latest results from the Mercedes Cup in Stuttgart that Sasha Zverev has entered and the Libema Open in her Toggenbosch in the Netherlands. Two 250 events taking place this week. Thanks again to Nick McCarville. So it wasn't the usual build-up to Roland Garros or Rafa Nadal, but in the end, it was the same result. 
Here's Hatchinoff down the center. Rafa short with a forehand return. That forehand well wide from Hatchinoff. And what an effort from Rafael Nadal. Incredible level in the opening set. Physically limited in the early part of the second. But then he regained his footing and just took control of this match and found himself back into the Indian Wells semifinals for another matchup with his generational adversary, Roger Federer. It'll be their 39th, their fourth here, and they will play for a spot in the final. But just stop and applaud the heart of this man from Mallorca. Now we have some bad news. We're just hearing breaking news once more. Nadal is out. Yesterday, after the match, I felt that um, something happened in the knee and um, was not the moment to talk about that because we remain 24 hours for the semifinals and I wanted to try it my best to be competitive today. But I warm up today in the morning and felt that my knee was not enough good to compete at the level that I need to, to compete. To, to play a semi-finals match of this event. When I got back from the uh, the practice court, um, Rafa texted me saying like he won't be able to do it. And um, the reaction was one of um, disappointment, you know, for for both of us, for the fans and for the, the match not to happen. You know, having a tough year and a half for me. So it's tough to have a clear view about how I am. It's normal that when you have these things going on in the mental part, you are a little bit more up and down. So now it's a work of every day. He looks so at home. Try to improve because I had to stop after Indian Wells for a while again and uh, start slow. So it's always like a comeback. So let's see. Never in doubt, Rafa Nadal and Monte Carlo. It's a classic combination. Every victory is a, is a positive energy, confidence on, on the game, confidence on the body. Nadal extends his winning streak here in Monte Carlo to 17 now. And it's 70 wins in total at this tournament. It is a day Fabio Benini will remember for the rest of his life. He's beaten Rafa Nadal on clay in Monte Carlo. And he's only the fourth person to do so here in the Principality. I played a, a very bad game against a good player. So it was this kind of days that um, everything was wrong. Well, they played one of the worst matches on clay in, in 14 years. Uh, so when that happens, you you have to lose. And today, I deserve to lose because I played against a player that was better than me today. Nadal in unknown territory, having to defend match points. A good serve, got back. Team has a chance here. He puts it away. So good, brilliant from Dominic Team. King Rafa has been dethroned in Barcelona in the semi-finals with a world-class display by the Austrian. An epic performance, a coming-of-age performance. He's beaten Rafa in his backyard 
He has almost humiliated him. What a performance. Nadal had no answer. 6-4. 6-4. I'm always super proud if I beat him because he's the best player ever on this surface and it's always very special to beat him here on clay. Hour and 37 minutes on the clock. Canadian is ready, is set. He serves down the tee. The backhand spins into play. Inside in goes Ogier Oh, he misses. He misses. And that is it. Game, set, match. Match win number 50 here in Madrid for five-time champion Rafa Nadal. Hasn't had the easiest start with the stomach trouble. All the things that I did in the past in these events have been very difficult. And it's good to, to people that know that. <laughs> forget Stefano Tsitsipas gets his first victory over the great Rafael Nadal. He's young, he's improving and he has good talent but I, I don't see myself losing that much if I play the same level that I played in Barcelona 2017 final. What happened I know. The solution I know, and uh, the execution is not easy, so... <laughs> Rafa races into the quarterfinals here in Rome. What a day. Two matches played, two matches won. If you want to win or you have to win, you need to play better every day, because every day the opponent is tougher. Rafael Nadal is hungry this week as the Spaniard secures a third bagel. During the last month, my feeling is every week was better than the, the previous one. Oh, yes! Sensational from Nadal. When you feel better every week, that's important personal satisfaction for me. Nadal moves into his 11th final here in Rome and it will be a 50th Masters 1000 final tomorrow for the Spaniard. He gains revenge over the man who beat him and he's dropped just 13 games in the process this week. A guy that I obviously have tons of respect for and uh, you know, of course admirer of his, you know, he's been a great example of a player with, with fantastic fighting spirit, resilience with all the injuries he's been through and keep, keeps on coming back and he sets a really high standard, especially on clay. He's a, an ultimate challenge, without a doubt. What happened in Monte Carlo happened and what happened in Barcelona happened and what happened in Madrid happened. And here we are. We are in Rome. It's the world number one against the world number two. It's the eight-time champion against the four-time champion. It's the showpiece of the Internazionale Vienna Italia. Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Oh, that is some forehand. That's brutal. Relentless. Oh, Nadal demonstrates some genius on the clay. It's a ninth title for Rafa, 
in Rome and a record-breaking 34th Masters 1000 trophy for the Spaniard. He ends his weights for a first title this season and it's come at the perfect time, just days before he begins another title defence in Paris at Roland Garros. It's an important victory for me, but for me what means a lot is win again here in Rome. That's one of the most important events of the year and for me personally it's just unbelievable. I mean, of course I would love to play on clay against him again. If I said I don't want to play him on clay, I think then I would have made a mistake to be on the clay in the first place, you know, because he is the measuring stick for all us players. In some of the worst conditions ever seen here in Paris, Rafael Nadal has advanced to his 12th Roland Garros final with a 6-3, 6-4, 6-2 defeat of Roger Federer. Couple of points for the set. 5-3, 40-15. Nadal reaches up and serves down the tee. The backhand, the off backhand from team. The inside end from Nadal. Inside out forehand is good from Dominic Team. Who has to come in on the backhand. Flicks it cross court misses. Completely loose from the Austrian. A fist pump from the Spaniard. Carlos Meyer looking down at his feet. He should be the happier of the two because his charge, 53 minutes on the clock, a 6-3 first set. It's going to be so interesting to see how the Austrian can regroup because all that work, all that effort, all those stunning shots and winners came to nothing in the end because he doesn't get the first set. Nadal, just going to wait till the crowd really settles down before he serves. And he serves now onto the forehand team down the line, the forehand cross court from Nadal. Team's there with the backhand. Forehand again from Nadal. Team will hit the forehand to the Nadal. Back a forehand cross court. Now he's great depth from Team in this rally on the forehand. Going for some angle now. Nadal is straight and Nadal is long. And Dominic Team takes the second set. Seven games to five. 46 minutes. The break in the 12th game. And we're level, folks. One set all. 5-1, 40-30. It's team serving. Team serves, and this would mean that Nadal serves to start the set. Into the net goes Dominic Team. And Rafa Nadal has not only closed out the third set in record time, 25 minutes, but by breaking the serve of Dominic Team, it means the 11-time champion will serve first in set four. Nadal leads by two sets to one. 40-30, Nadal, 5-1, fourth set. Crowd just not settling here. They want more tennis for sure as Nadal gets ready to serve now. Match point onto the forehanders team. It's right on, it's long from Dominic team. Rafael Nadal collapses on the court. He wins Roland Garros for a 12th time. Three in a row. Six, three, five, seven, six, one, six, one in three hours. Nadal, the first player in history to win 12 Grand Slam titles at a single event. He remains the ultimate test on clay. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.